Amen. Let's take our Bibles. Turn over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Secrets to success, of successful living. And uh, we've been dealing with that a while. And we're talking about how to experience perfect peace. And we started that last week. Uh, and uh, actually, we've been in it a couple of weeks. Uh, it wasn't last week. That was VBS, wasn't it? So it was a few weeks before that we started this particular portion of this series. And I want to continue it tonight. And Look to how to experience perfect peace. You know, what are some of the elements? What are some of the things we're going to need to do? Now, Isaiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 3. And uh, we'll go ahead and uh, just kind of give a basic, fundamental, just very quick uh, summary. And we'll jump right on into uh, the uh, real main thrust of this today. Okay, so let's look at Isaiah 26, beginning in verse 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will be God. Salvation will God appoint for the walls and bulwarks 
Open ye the gates, and the righteous, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Now, we talked about this passage at, at length uh, the first week. We tried to identify the context of the passage. And then the week after, we addressed some of the issues uh, dealing with this issue of perfect peace. Now, we see that this promise was given at a, a very important part of Israel's history. It was a matter of fact, it was one of the darkest periods of Israel's history, as a matter of fact. And we said that it would prove to be a, a very special help to us today, seeing that we are surrounded by so much gloom and doom. Uh, we're overwhelmed by so much stress and anxiety. We're constantly threatened by, well, we could call it the three great enemies of doubt, fear, and worry. I mean, those are things that are overwhelming us. They're things that are impacting our lives on a regular basis. And the fact is, is that, that we need peace. It's now. And uh, the world we live in is not a world of peace. And it was uh, such in the day of Israel. So we talked about Israel was in uh, dire need of, of, of righteousness. They were steeped in sin. And as a result, God wasn't real pleased with them. And Yet he said, listen, I want you to understand that thou, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Man, the whole nation may be going to pot, but let me tell you something. If you will just focus your attention on me, if you'll stay your mind on me, uh, then you'll find perfect peace even in the midst of this chaos and confusion that's abounding. And boy, there's enough chaos and confusion in our world abounding, isn't there? And... Uh, you know, when all's going well, the skies are sunny. It's easy to somewhat overlook this particular passage in Isaiah 26, 3. But boy, I'll tell you what, when the clouds of trial seem to be mounting and disappointment, fear, and alarm drift across our pathway, boy, I'll tell you what, these precious words that are found here in Isaiah 26, 3, they take on an entirely different meaning, don't they? Boy, they mean something to us. These are the kind of verses that you shoot a friend or a family member or somebody that's hurting and you give it to them in an email or maybe possibly a text and you say, listen, I just want you to know that he'll keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. I just want you to know that, you know. And so that's important. And, and boy, this is a time in our culture and our society and our, our world in which we live where we need that verse, verse 3. Now, again, what value would freedom from trouble be if there were no inward peace. Okay, so I have no trouble exteriorly speaking. I mean, I look at my life, everything's going well, but there's no internal peace. What good would no trouble be if there were no peace? Fortunately for us, it doesn't matter how much trouble comes into our lives. The Bible promises that we can have perfect peace. Now listen, that's a tall, that's, a, that's something that we need. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not something necessarily that comes easy or comes cheap, but it's definitely something that we desperately need in our lives. And uh, God, in the midst of the raging storm and the fiercest of all battles, says that you can have perfect peace if you'll stay your mind on me. And boy, that's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Now, we're going to find here a couple of things to be true along the way. And we're going, to say, we're going to ask this question, how does this perfect peace come to us? And we're going to note a couple of things. And, and, and you may be surprised by a few of them. You may say, ah, I've already known that. That's an easy one. And that's all right. We can always, I mean, like they say, repetition is the key to learning, right? So if there's something you've heard before in the past, then 
boy, just uh, mark it down and store it away again and say, thank you for reminding me and we'll move on. And uh, if there's something new that God brings to your mind and heart and you say, no wonder I'm struggling with this, uh, then, well, you know, praise the Lord for that too. All right, let's go ahead and um, have a quick word of prayer. And then we're going to go ahead and ask that question. How does this perfect peace come to us? Father, we thank you now for this time together in these next few minutes. May you be glorified in our lives and in this ministry as we proclaim your truth. Thank you for your blessed word. Thank you for the truth that it uh, provides us. Thank you that it's not just, that it doesn't just contain truth, it is the truth. And we just ask that you would just be with each of us. And may we not be so um, negligent to somehow think that we can enjoy the benefit of your word without applying its principles to our lives. Help us to be very aware and, and clear in our own hearts that we must be obedient to you if we want the blessing you have for us. Now help us tonight. We definitely need perfect peace in our lives. And we'll thank you as you enable us to acquire it and understand how to, main, how to get it and maintain it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so how does this perfect peace come to us? No, well, first of all, by Jesus Christ or by Christ Jesus, right? I mean, that's obvious, I, I guess. It should be, right? Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and note this. Philippians 4, verse 7, a, a, a wonderful passage. The Bible says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice that the Lord Jesus Christ is the channel through whom peace, the peace of God flows. I mean, it's obvious. It says, through Christ Jesus. Now, we want this perfect peace. We, we desire it. And it says that this peace of God, this peace of God that passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now again, it's channeled through Jesus Christ, and, and that's important. And, and, and that peace of God flows into our soul as a result of, that, of, that, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the relationship that we have with Him. See, that means then that only a believer can possess the peace of God then. If, if, it's, only, if, 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 if it's channeled through Christ, then unless you possess Christ, then you can't possess peace, right? Not only that, but we see in the New Testament, especially when the Lord Jesus Christ was birthed, you know, that the angels said, you know, uh, that peace on, uh, there's peace on earth now. Well, where's that peace on earth? I mean, I don't get it. There were still wars going on. There were still fights going on, still battles taking place because Jesus is the peace. That's how the angel could say that. Jesus Christ, he is peace. And the fact is, if you possess Christ, then you possess peace. Now, the question is whether or not you allow that peace to reign in your life and your heart. But Christ is the channel through whom the peace of God flows. And therefore, the believer is the only one that can possess it. There is no peace for anyone who does not possess Christ and who's not resting on the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation. It just doesn't work that way. If they do not possess Christ, then they cannot have the peace of God. They can have the peace of a secure job for a period of time. They can have the peace of maybe a, a, a solid relationship for the time being. They can have the peace of, of just uh, knowing that they themselves try their best to be a good person and they feel confident in their goodness. But I'm telling you that the peace of God is only available to those who possess Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us. 
Now, there is a distinction and there is a difference, a clear difference between the lost and the saved, between the believer and the unbeliever, between the child of God and the child of the devil. There is a distinct difference. And unfortunately today, that that distinction has been skewed. It's been removed, if you will, to some degree. We've kind of let everything turn into gray today. There's no black or white. As a matter of fact, I saw a ridiculous I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I saw a ridiculous statement on the front of a church billboard this week as I was taking a walk around the, the certain city. And here's what it said. If, if you only see in black and white, you cannot see the rainbow. You cannot see a rainbow. Now think about what month it is. If you only see in black and white, you cannot see a rainbow. And I thought to myself, this is a church. This is a church that supposedly, if I would ask the preacher, do you believe the word of God? Do you believe in what the Bible stands for, what it says and what it teaches? Do you believe that it's literally out of heaven, God, God inspired, God breathed? They'd say, well, we believe the Bible, only, but only portions we want to believe in. I'm telling you something today, that the word of God is very clear. There's a distinction between the lost and the saved. There's a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. And my friend today, if you know Christ, you can have and experience perfect peace because you possess him, Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ. That, that, that right there is a requirement. If you're gonna, if, if, how does this perfect peace come to us? By Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 1.20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Again, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Isn't that wonderful? Peace. That means then if you're lost, you don't have peace because there's no blood applied. You've not been reconciled unto him. And the Bible tells us that we were the enemies of God till we were reconciled unto him. There's no peace. Let me tell you something. You, I, I would rather have the whole world as my enemy than God. Not only do we see here, first of all, by Christ Jesus, but how does this perfect peace come to us? By the Holy Spirit. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. In Galatians chapter 5, we begin reading verse 22 and 23, and again, we're going to be introduced here to the fruit of the Spirit. What a wonderful thing that is. Notice Galatians 5, 22 begins by saying, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now again, understand right here, right off the bat, the third one listed is peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ procured peace for us upon the cross of Calvary. We know that. We just read about that. And that peace is offered to us through Him as, as the channel. He's that channel, but it's conveyed to our hearts. It's conveyed to our minds by the Holy Spirit of God. His portion, his work in our life conveys that truth, that peace of God upon us. As the Holy Spirit fills us, as the Holy Spirit floods our lives, he produces that wonderful fruit within us. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And may I say that peace is part of that fruit. It's all one. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, then you know what peace is today. 
And it's made possible through, yes, the reconciliation that Christ brings to his precious blood with, between God the Father and us, but also the Holy Spirit. It just, as we already mentioned, kind of conveying that to our hearts. You know, it's sad to think how little peace we experience in comparison to how available it is to us. And think about that. Isn't it sad to think about how little peace we experience in comparison to how available it is to us? I don't know about you, but I, I, there are times in my life I, I wore more with peace in my heart than at other times. You know, I'm one of them. I'm kind of a worry wart sometimes. You know, I think about things. I dwell on things. I allow things to eat at me at times. And the Bible says to fret not. The Bible says to, you know, to not worry about things and not to allow those things to happen, but turn them over to the Lord. Give them to Christ. You know, look unto me and all that. I get that. But sometimes I find myself lacking peace in my life. And it's only when I take my eyes off of him that that happens. It's not God's fault when I don't have peace. It's not because God isn't good enough to me. It's not because God isn't meeting my needs. It's not because God isn't sufficient. It's because I fail in my walk in relationship with Him. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. When I'm walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is peace in my life, then let me tell you, things are good. But when I get in that old flesh and I start letting the worry bother me and I start letting the weight and the pressure of the world weigh on me without trusting and depending on the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? I'm in the flesh now. Boy, I don't know what peace is anymore. And I can look to God and say, God, why won't you do this? Why didn't you do that for me? Why won't you take this burden off my shoulders? But to do that, it might be, if I, say it quite, if I say it like that, could it be that I'm almost blaming God for my problems and saying that if it wasn't for you, I'd have peace? I think we need to be very careful. So we see here, again, if we are serious about you know, this perfect peace, how does this perfect peace come to us? Well, by Christ Jesus, by, by the Holy Spirit, by His Word, by His Word. Look at Psalm 119, 165. 119 verses 160 verse 165 that is a big chapter isn't it yeah i don't know if you've i hope you know maybe you've never read your bible all the way through you know but if you have you've run into that baby and it's like man that chapter alone it's like come on man especially if you're like well i'm gonna read 10 chapters a day and uh you get to that when you're like man you sure that wasn't 10 chapters i just read it's crazy you know 165, look at that, Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Again, great peace have they which love thy law. Now again, someone says, well, that was the Old Testament. That's a, you know, yeah, well, let's just make it very clear. That's the word of God. I think we can all agree with that. And, and honestly, great peace have they which love the law or love the word of God, love his ordinances, love his statutes, Love his commandments. Man, that's, that's, that's what it, great peace have they that do those things. And nothing shall offend them. You know that the word offend in this particular passage is defined as being to disturb or annoy or cause to fall or stumble. You say, where'd you get that? I got that from Webster, 1828. 
And you look right down there in Webster 1828, and it goes right to Psalm 119, 165, and it defines the word offend right there from a biblical context. It's to disturb, to annoy. Listen, let's face it. We, we allow ourselves to be annoyed, and we allow ourselves to be disturbed quite often, don't we? And if we're not careful, the thing that probably disturbs us the most are people. I mean, things and people so often disturb us. But again, there's this promise of perfect peace to those who love and meditate in the Word of God and obey the Word of God. We're guilty again so many times of allowing others to steal our joy and steal our peace, aren't we? And, you know, we'll blame them. And we'll, 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 we'll be very clear that if it wasn't for that person, if it wasn't for that situation, if it wasn't for that circumstance, then I would be happy and I would have peace. <laughs> Someone says, you know what? You're right. I get offended real easy. Right? I allow people to disturb and annoy me. Maybe I, need to, maybe I need a thicker skin. I need to develop thicker skin so that I'm not so easily offended. And you know what I would say that that could be true, partly true. I'm amazed. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm really amazed how thin-skinned people are today. I'm amazed, you know. By the way, you need to work with your children. Just because your child gets offended because some other kid calls them a name, you need to learn how to teach them how to deal with that. Let them learn how to deal with that. My goodness, this is ridiculous, this bullying thing. Every time you turn around. You know, we used to say sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never harm me. But I'll tell you what, they throw that one out the window today. Man, I mean to tell you. I I don't know. I'm not trying to make light of bullying and all, but I'm going to tell you something. Uh, You know, we got to get toughened up, man. I mean, we live in a world today that hates our guts if we're truly living for the Lord. They're not going to like what we stand for. They're not going to appreciate where we fall on on issues and subjects. And they're not going to say nice things about us. And I don't care how nice you are to them. They're still not going to be nice in how they represent you and how they talk about you in the long run. Let me tell you something. You stand against their major sins and you tell them that you don't agree because God's word says. And I'm going to tell you what, they're going to call you fanatic. They're going to call you stupid. They're going to call you an idiot. They're going to say that you're outdated. They're going to say that you're a dinosaur. They're going to say all kind of crazy stuff that you hate people, that you're this, you're that. If you don't have some thick skin, my friend, you're going to go around always feeling pretty rough. You better just deal with it. You better learn to handle those things. And they're going to call you names maybe. Wow, that's rough. You know what? I kind of look at it like this. I feel like we're doing pretty good because at least we're not like the Apostle Paul, getting beat up and thrown in prison. Call me a name any day. Sure beats getting beat up. Sure beats getting stoned to death. Sure beats getting thrown in prison. Oh, those days are coming, but we're not there yet. They're coming. Consider that great promise. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend thee. You know, yeah, you may need to grow some thicker skin, but I'm going to tell you this. The greatest need is a heavy dose of love for the Word of God in your life. That's what you need more than thick skin. You need to love the Word of God in your life. It ought to take precedent. It ought to take priority. If you're offended easily, then you've taken your eyes off of God and off of His Word, and you've placed them on yourself and others. 
That's the bottom line. We don't get offended when we're not looking at ourselves. We don't get offended when we don't see ourselves as big. We don't get offended when we're second and someone else is first. See, I'm not offended when you look down on me when I think in my heart and I come to the conclusion that you are really better than me. Now all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you're right. You know the problem with most of us as believers? We, we have this mentality that the world has today. We've got, we got this same idea that this, what's it, what do they call that? Entitlement. You know, we're entitled to something. We deserve something. You owe me respect. I'm a good person, so don't talk to me like that. Don't act like that to me. Man, the world doesn't care what you think. I'm not trying to be mean. I mean, most people are very kind to us so far. But the point being is, is that we get offended by church members. How's that possible? Are we so focused on ourselves that we can't get, our eyes are so on us that that little look that they gave us has to be something that they're trying to, they're looking at me cross-eyed. Obviously, they don't, they think I'm stupid or something. I can see what they're thinking. I know what they say. I know where they're at. No, you don't know nothing, probably. Making all that up in your head. When people look at me stupid, I don't automatically go, my, I must look really stupid because I know I'm a bronze, you know, beauty. The first thing I think is they obviously either can't see well <laughs> or two, they just got their wires crossed. They're a little bit off. Kind of like the Israelites. Remember when they go into the land to possess the land and they send the spies in? What do the spies do? They, 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 they see us like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, I, I know that some of them might have been talking about, well, just in comparison, we're really small. But it's interesting, the word or the phrasing to me. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They see us as little. They see us as insignificant. They see us as nothing. You know what? I think many times the reason why so many of us get offended at brothers and sisters in Christ and other people in the world is because truly we have a bad self-image already. We see ourselves pretty little, and therefore when somebody else looks at us cross-eyed, says something we don't appreciate, or somehow we perceive it to be something derogatory, we immediately, down deep, we already feel that way about ourselves, and it makes us angry, and it offends us that anyone could think that about us. Listen, I, you know, come on. You know, we got to get our eyes off ourselves. You know, that's what the passage is talking about here. See, great peace have they which love thy law. Why? Because there, as it says, nothing shall offend them because they're meditating on it. They're focused on it. They're seeing Christ and they're seeing the word of God. They're not seeing themselves. And we see in our own passage here in, in Isaiah chapter 26, 3, that thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. When we get our minds off of Christ, that's when we get in a mess. By our obedience. Look at Leviticus 26, 3 through 6. Leviticus 26, 3 through 6. We live in a... That's amazing. It does kind of bother me. I'm sorry. I'm kind of getting off, uh, off track here, and, and you don't have to like it. But I, I just... 
I honestly have, a, it just bothers me that we live in a day and age where we have told people their whole lives how wonderful they are, how great they are. You can't ever disagree with somebody. You have to agree with everybody. Everybody, what everybody does is right. You can do what you do and he does what he does and you have to accept what he does and she does and you can't tell them that you don't like it and you don't agree and everybody's right. Everybody's got this, you know, we got to worry about their self-image. We can't hurt how they feel about themselves. We have to lift them up. You know, the reason we have all these childhood suicides now because people aren't willing to accept the kids as the way they are and they're not willing to able to express themselves the way they really want to express themselves. It's all our fault. It's not their fault. It's all about us. all about the fact that we're not accepted. We're intolerant and all of that stuff. We are in this generation where everybody's, and yet it seems to me that everybody's more offended at everything people say than ever. We're supposed to be so empowered. You can do what you want, but then the moment somebody doesn't like what you do, you're like, I can't take it. I'm going to kill myself. What is wrong with us? See, obviously we're not doing something right here. You know, oh, we got to watch him. My kid's, you know, he's, he's nine years old and he's already threatened to kill himself. Well, how's that happening? Can somebody tell me how a nine-year-old even knows that there's something called taking your life? I don't even get this stuff. I don't, I don't get it. They're dealing with adult problems. I'll tell you what might help us a little bit. Mom, why don't you stop talking to your nine-year-old about what's going on with you and your husband? Why don't you quit letting them in on what's really going down in your finances? Why don't you quit screaming and yelling around them and making them feel like there's no hope tomorrow? I'm sorry, I I am. I'm getting off script here. I know that, but there's just something inside me that's bothering me about these things. I'm about sick up to hear hearing about eight and nine-year-olds and their suicide rates have doubled in the last five years. I'm really having a problem with that stuff. And you know what's so sad? It's not just in the world, it's in the church. What's wrong with us? We're supposed to have perfect peace here. We're supposed to have Christ in our lives. And our homes are falling apart. Our marriages are no better in the world. Our children are just as dysfunctional. What is wrong with us? Why don't we quit looking at our culture and quit blaming them and start looking inside? Start asking ourselves, what's wrong with me? I'm sorry, I just can't take it. I'm starting to struggle with some of that stuff. I'm watching children all the time and seeing couples and families and I'm watching people that call themselves Christians act like the world so much so that you couldn't tell the the distinction. You'd jump in their car and push in a a CD or you would get on their iPad or whatever it is and you'd hear the same junk the world's listening to. I don't know. I think there's something wrong with us. I mean, we got Christ living in us. We're supposed to have perfect. We wonder why we can't get peace in our lives running around watching the same thing the world watches, listening to the same thing the world listens to, endorsing the same kind of standards and the same kind of principles and the same kind of lifestyles that the world does, unwilling to take a stand on anything scriptural or biblical, afraid that we're going to offend our family, our friends, our neighbors, or somehow we're going to isolate our kids from the other kids. Can't say no to a sport because, my goodness, what will our kids do? They'll end up going crazy. They'll, they'll not learn how to be socialized and all that. They got to get on a team. They got to be a part of this. And forget that junk. Man, we are Christians living in a world. We are pilgrims in a land. You got to be kidding me. Buying into this social junk that we got going on in our world. And we got a Bible that defines what we're to believe and how we're to think. Where's that at? I don't appreciate you don't like how I raise my kids. I don't care what you think. What my problem is is that I I care that you don't care what God thinks. Are you kidding me? God's the one that outlines these things. 
It's not the preacher that outlines this stuff. It's not some stupid church that does that. It's God. There's churches out there teaching all kind of junk. Are they really churches? Somebody said, well, they're a church because they call themselves one. Well, I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, if we start teaching that it's okay to put homosexuals behind the pulpit and preach the gospel, then my friend, we're doing something contrary to the word of God. We start promoting the, this LGBT junk in our church and, and saying that it's okay to endorse any lifestyle you want and to be whatever you want to do and, and this transgender junk and all the stuff that's going on in our world and we're going to endorse all that stuff, then we might as well just throw the Bible away and start doing things how we choose. Let's, let's go ahead and endorse, bring the rock music in, bring the world standards in, let's just show movies on the screen, let's just do all that stuff. We wonder why we don't have peace. The world's out there killing themselves trying to find peace. We have peace, and we're inviting it in our homes, our churches, our lives, and our families. All that junk that they got, we're inviting it in, and we're like, they're a mess. We're going to be better because we got God in all of this, but then we invite everything that's causing them to have the problems into our lives. That, that, that's really off script, and we're out of time. But I just, um, I guess I'm just frustrated. I, it's not like I read an article today or anything. I didn't do that. I didn't get on YouTube and YouTube nothing. By the way, I don't look at YouTube, really. I, mean, I, I guess I did look at a YouTube video on how to put a hitch on the other day. <laughs> I did do that, so I, gotta, I can't lie. But that's because it sent me to that link. And I found myself and I thought, where, where'd I go? What, how, where, how'd I get here? <laughs> you say, well, you need to get with the program. Yeah, you're probably right, I do. But I don't, I'm not real good with that stuff. Okay, so... I'm just going to rush through this real fast because I want to get through these five things. Here it is, by our obedience. That's number four. I just want you to see in Leviticus 26. Notice these two words. Right there in verse 3, 26, 3. If ye, will, if ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall ye yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and your threshing shall reach into the vintage, the vintage shall reach into the sowing time, and ye shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely. And I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. Here's the most important word in the whole verse as far as I'm concerned. It's a really small word. It's the first word in the entire passage, if. See that word if? God guarantees to us that if we will walk in His statutes, if we will keep His commandments, then He will keep our hearts in perfect peace. If. That means the responsibility falls on us. It falls on you. It falls on me. Finally, five. How does this perfect peace come to us? By Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, by His Word, by obedience, and finally, by plenty of praise and prayer. Philippians 4, 6 this time. We already looked at verse 7, but I want to note something extremely important here. This is transforming. This will change your life if you get a hold of this one. It changed my perspective. It took me a long time to come to the conclusion that I did. It took me two full weeks of prayer, fasting, and dealing with a situation in my life that I honestly thought it might cost me my life. And then I came to this conclusion, and it made the whole difference. I finally, if you will, God unlocked this passage to me. Now, look what it says in Philippians. We already looked at 4-7, but I want to begin in verse, chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, Be careful for nothing, 
That's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Be careful for nothing, watch this, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, notice verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, we like verse 7, don't we? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We like to go to verse 7. We enjoy verse 7 because it it is exactly what we're seeking, what we're looking for. We want the peace of God that passeth all understanding. We want people to look at us and say, man, how in the world can they be at peace in the midst of this circumstance? Now, God, give me that peace. You know what? That's a good prayer. I mean, I get it. But verse 6 precedes it. This peace that we're talking about is only made available, watch this, as we express our gratitude and thanksgiving to God. See, there's never going to be real peace in our lives till we're willing to accept our situation and our circumstances as being from the hand of God. You'll never, ever come to have any peace. See, the promise in verse 7 is conditional. It's conditioned on the fact of whether or not we can have thanksgiving, the thanksgiving of verse 6 in our life. If you don't have the faith, if I don't have the faith to be able to thank God to bring good out of our situation, then we are destined to be disturbed and discontented. There's no way you're going to find peace. If you can't accept what's going on and say, God, you want it in my life, thank you for it. You say, that's ridiculous. Then you'll never have peace. Now listen, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you what I learned. I'm telling you that only until you come to the place where you can accept what God has for you and you don't get bitter at God, you're not angry at God and you don't have expectations for God, you can literally look at God and say, you know what, I'm not careful for anything. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to fret over it. I'm just going to pray and and make supplication with thanksgiving. I'm able to say, thank you, God, that I'm where I'm at right now. I don't know why or what what you're trying to accomplish. But what I do know is that everything you have for me is with a purpose. And I know that you're going to do something with it in my life and the lives of others. I don't understand it all. Then someone says, yeah, but what if it means my life? And I know that's what I was concerned about. You finally had to get to a place where you could say, thank God, if I have the opportunity to go and die for you, I'll do it. That's when I finally found peace in my life. Wasn't before I could thank God for the opportunity. I'm just telling you that this passage is important because perfect peace and this peace that God gives us is conditional on whether or not we can thank Him. That's what the passage is teaching us. And it doesn't matter what the circumstance is, God has a purpose and a plan. He has permitted it in your life, He could have not caused it. Give me any situation that's negative in our viewpoint. God could have overcome it if he chose, right? I mean, we're not, we're not little kids here. We know God's able. He's strong enough. He could have taken that person out of the way. He could have taken that situation out of the way. He could have changed the circumstances in our life, but he permitted it. I'm not saying that that's what he really wanted in the long run because we know sin brought all this about. Anything negative really is not God's purpose. He intended us to be living forever and intends to enjoy life, to be in a garden where it was a perfect environment, but it's not now because of sin. Here's the thing, God still permits it though. Everything that God that, that is in my life, God has allowed, it's crossed his desk and he's put a stamp of approval on it. 
So if I want to have peace, at some point I have to agree with God, this is what I need, apparently. I don't understand it. But I have to accept it. And I know you're going to do something with it. So thank you, God, for the opportunity to trust you and to depend on you and to see how you're going to work in and through me. What you're going to do, whether it ends this way, whether it ends this way, Lord, it's up to you because I'm just yours. My eyes are on you. I'm fixed on you. I'm focused on you. It's not about me. It's about you and what you want to accomplish in my life and the lives of others around me. Wow. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying if you want peace in your life, you have to be willing to say thank you, Lord, for what's going on in my heart and my life right now. That's a tough pill to swallow, but it is a reality of the Christian life. It's a reality. And it's a very difficult one. But it is one that once you get a hold of it and you experience God's hand in the midst of it and you realize that God is capable of carrying you through no matter how or what the outcome, you'll find peace. And it's, it's an amazing thing to have peace when everybody else would be losing their mind. See, it's a peace that passeth all understanding. But it's granted only through Christ and through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit and through just our yieldedness and surrender. Again, I don't have time to get through this whole message and lesson, but nonetheless, I kind of got off a little bit on a tangent. I'm, I'm very, very grateful I did. I, I want to encourage you on some things. I, I do. I, I mean this. I, I know this is Wednesday night, and so you guys are the, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, and all that stuff. I get it. You know, I can't thank you enough for your faithfulness to Community Baptist Temple. I can't tell you the impact that you've made, not only in the lives of others, but in my own life. I mean, I'm a pastor, and I don't have a bunch of horror stories to tell, you know. I, I, I've been blessed with godly people around me through years, and I don't have all those negative stories that preachers like to share at pastor's meetings. I don't have them. What I want for you, though, I, I hope I don't want more for you than you want for yourself. That's all I'm saying. I, your life can be everything that you want it to be in Christ. Everything you want it to be, it can be. Don't let anybody tell you different. Don't let the devil deceive you and say, well, this is just my lot in life. I guess I made a few mistakes, so I guess this is what I just have to deal with the rest of my life. It's going to be a mess. No, it doesn't have to be. I just want to encourage you. Don't settle. Don't let the devil lie to you. Man, find that peace. But you're going to have to focus on him. It can't be the world and him. It's got to be him. So get your eyes on him and you'll be okay. And again, I believe that you're trying hard. I see you're so faithful. I know you've got to be working at it. You wouldn't waste your time if you weren't. So keep it up and don't give up and don't quit. Let's stay at this thing and let's do something big for God. Let's get together and strive and do something wonderful for the Lord Jesus in the coming months and years. Father, we thank you.